Get ready to be dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another exciting episode of Dazed and Infused. I'm here tonight with Kenny Morrison, founder of VCC, also known as Venice Cookie Company. And uh, Kenny is broadcasting from his home studio, aka his trailer, which I love. At least it's not a U-Haul. So Kenny, wanna, that's props to you, buddy. Um, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody first and out of the gate here. What's your historical relationship to cannabis, Kenny? How'd you come to it? I think the earliest memories I have of cannabis is just very normalized use of it by my dad. My dad always had, like I was raised with my dad having a bong on his dresser. He never made any effort to hide it. He didn't feel any need to hide it. And uh, as young as like, you know, eight, nine years old, um, my dad would turn, you know, going to score an eighth of weed from his dealer into a field trip. Hey, Kenny, I'm going to go get some grass from Vic. Do you want to come? I'd be like, yeah, okay. And uh, so we'd <laughs> jump in the car. We'd go to Vic's house, who was, that was his connection, who would drive up to Mendo and buy it in bulk and bring it back down to LA. And okay. uh, while he was there weighing out the uh, eighth on his triple beam, I would be asking him if he wanted to buy a magazine subscription. You know, <laughs> remember in elementary school, how you were oh. always selling. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So, that is great. Yeah. And I'd be like, hey, do you want to buy a magazine subscription? And he'd be like, oh yeah. Do you have cycling magazine? And he'd always buy a subscription off me. Cool. And keep, uh, keep those field trips going. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was my first um, experience with it. And I think it's always just kind of stayed with me it demystified it and didn't make it a bad thing. It was normal. Um, and so, you know, I think just growing up in California, Southern California with that kind of openness about it, it, it's always kind of been, you know, my North star in a, in a way, you know? Yeah. Just normal. That's great. I like that. I like that. And then you are actually the first person to actually have that approach and um, that background. So it's great to hear after a hundred plus episodes, that's a refreshing take on it. And I like the approach where your dad kind of normalized it from an early age. Cause it was, it was never one of these things where like, I got to steal that weed from my dad, but he doesn't know. I know he smokes weed kind of thing, you know, one mm-hmm. of those things. Yeah. So, um, those of you at home, um, perhaps you don't know the Venice Cookie Company, but you may know the very popular um, drink, Cannabis Quencher. Uh, you also have self, Subtle Tea, um, One Tincture, and still the original Venice Cookie. Um, I, I like your your approach. It looks like you're really appealing to a broad range of cannabis users, which is really cool. Um, the cannabis quencher aimed in a lot of directions in terms of the youth, um, and you have different, uh, dosages for that product and you have not a lot of good flavors. And then you have some lozenges as well. And then the subtlety, um, I don't know much about the subtlety cause I actually haven't seen it yet in person. Um, but it sounds delicious. Um, and of course, um, one tincture, which it definitely looks like you're aiming toward, you know, your more mature crowd. 
that benefits from tincture, like me. I love tincture and I use it daily, you know, and it's one of my go-tos. I, I actually don't think I could exist with it, without it anymore because it helps my sleep and it helps my life. Yeah, we, uh, subtlety right now is just uh, in, the, in the health food market. It's just in the hemp space. Okay. Um, we, we had it in a bottle, you know, in a glass bottle it was at MedMen, Apothecarium, stores like that. Mm-hmm. We're going to re-release it um, as a sparkling canned beverage, uh, hopefully next year. But right now mm-hmm. it's just a CBD drink in uh, places like Erewhon and um, San Vicente Foods and 7-Eleven and some stores like that. And your tinctures are THC based though. Uh, at least three of them are. Yeah, the tinctures are THC based. CQ cannabis quencher is a THC, you know, dominant product, and then subtlety is just a little more of our low dose line stuff like that. It's an interesting story how I created it. <clears throat> um, I used to be a part of uh, a dispensary called the Pharmacy on Abbot Kinney that we opened in 2007 on back in the day, mm-hmm. and, and um, Dennis Hopper's nurse came in the store in 2010, early 2010, while he was bedridden and kind of dying of cancer. Hmm. And he came in the store looking for a hot tea and um, went to the store manager and said, yeah, Dennis is looking for a hot tea. Can anyone make that for him? And uh, Jamie, the store manager immediately called me. I was focused on Venice Cookie Company and that was our first account where we were incubating, you know, uh, all the products and figuring out what worked and what didn't. He said, hey, Dennis Hopper's nurse just came in here asking for a hot tea. Is that something you want to try and make for him? And so I immediately ran out the door from my office and went to Trader Joe's and um, bought some dry tea and kind of figured out how to activate it. The first batch was really simple. All I did was take our tincture and drop tincture on the tea. Mm -hmm. And um, so that meant like, you know, probably 45, 50% of the tincture got stuck to the fibers of the tea and never released when you did the pour over and poured the hot water on it. Yeah. So because it wasn't very strong, I delivered it to his door steaming hot and proclaimed it was subtle tea. Ah, there you go. Hence the name. Yeah. And that's how the name came about. And Dennis loved it. Um, His, he asked for some more. We brought him a couple more batches I asked him if he'd sign a letter saying, you know, thank you for the subtlety. He did. And then uh, we promptly like, you know, lost the letter. I don't know what ever happened to it, but I wish I had it. And that is a stony story right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then in May of 2010, he passed away. And then I trademarked the name, you know, kind of the same month that he passed away. I trademarked the name subtlety. Well, that's a cool story. Sad story, but a cool story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we just helped him die with a little pain relief and, and all of that. So, yeah, that's good. It's, it's good. Um, with regard to your your tinctures, I mean, was there inspiration for making the tinctures? I mean, what was your what was your raison d'être for that? The pharmacy, our dispensary back then, kind of the thing that we did that was unique is the whole um, we put cannabis back in its rightful place in the Chinese pharmacopoeia. Mm-hmm. And um, our our bud tenders were licensed acupuncturist herbalists. So people would come in and were free to discuss their ailments and try things other than cannabis and get, you know, non-cannabis herbs prescribed to them. We had an acupuncture clinic upstairs for a short little while. 
and we had a Korean herb cooker up there. So, you know, our staff was trained on making all sorts of, you know, Chinese herbal tinctures. And we started incorporating cannabis into the tinctures or just making pure cannabis tinctures in those, in those Korean herb cookers. So that was, that was kind of where the, um, where the inspiration came from was just traditional Chinese medicine. That's cool. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting that you were doing a full service in terms of you had acupuncture, acupressure, I'm sure something like that. It, so it was really a real, you know, a pharmacy, you know, old school. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, people would come and say, wow, this looks like the whole foods of cannabis. And our goal from the beginning was always that a mom could feel comfortable pushing a baby in a baby stroller through the store. And obviously back then this was pre-regulatory. We, that was, we hit our mark. We had all sorts of people come in. We had a children's medicine section where, you know, little, you know, young moms were coming in with their toddler and buying some herbal medicine and didn't even realize we sold cannabis. So we'd have moms at one cash register going, oh, wow, I love this store. And then we'd have a dude at the other cash register scoring his weed going, I love this store. So it was was cool. That's cool. That is great. Um, Before we continue, I just wanted to make a quick announcement. We are launching the Klaus brand from renowned bartender Warren Bobrow, and that will come out. Yet the first initial launch will be right after Hall of Flowers in the desert here. So um, we are proud to be carrying that in our distribution, uh, Sense Distribution. So look for Klaus at a local dispensary near you or delivery service. Uh, As everything Warren does, it's an amazing drink and he does an amazing job as a cocktail maven. What's it taste like? um, He has his little kind of ginger kind of twist on things. um, And uh, I will be sure to get you a sample. Yeah, I can't wait. I want to taste that. Well, he's good at what he does. So shout out to you, Warren, if you're listening and you've been a guest on the show a couple of times. Um, Let me ask you something. In terms of other than your products, what do you think the future holds for edibles? And where are we going with edibles? Because that's always kind of a a prescient um, question for me, because I see a lot of things, but I'm seeing a lot of things that aren't getting opportunities to shine. So what's your opinion on that? You know, I talk about it with obviously my peers. And in a lot of ways, we think, well, I think outside of beverage, the future of edibles is going to be increasingly kind of boring and homogenized and simple. Um, yeah. You know, I think, you know, uh, rapid onset things will will continue to pl- proliferate and get better. Um, I think, you know, the minor cannabinoids will become a little more uh, prevalent and continue to make things fresh and new for the consumer. I think the honorage effect, the ensemble effect, terpenes are going to continue to play a role and people will start to understand more about what they like in terps. But I think for the form factors, you're really kind of seeing a winnowing down of uh, all the form factors which used to exist. It's like, um, you know, I came up with an analogy years ago. It's kind of like, think of portable music. When portable music first became a reality, a thing, how did people enjoy portable music? It was this big giant boom box that you rode on your shoulder and you strutted down the street and you showed everyone how badass you were because you had this portable music thing, right? Right. It was, it was a novelty and it was worth kind of showing off and flaunting, right? And back in 2006, 2005, edibles were huge. They were this big honking 
giant brownie that filled up a clamshell container, you know, and it was a treat and it was something you wanted to show off and show to people and share. Yeah. And share. And like these days, portable music has turned into earbuds that are in your wireless earbuds in your ear that no one even notices you're listening to portable music. Yeah. And so I think the same thing is happening with edibles where um, it's no longer about showing off. It's no longer about it. It's so normalized that, you know, you're just popping a mint or a gummy or something small in your mouth um, to get the effect that you want. Yeah, I, I get your messaging there. And but I am kind of a little depressed by uh, the kind of the just homogenized versions of everything we're seeing at dispensaries right now. It is a subject I've talked a lot about. But what does that mean? Do you want to see ramen with weed in it? You want ice cream? Do you really need a pizza? Or for, for you, what does that mean that it's getting homogenized? For me, homogenization means I'm seeing the Great Wall of Mylar. 400 kinds of gummies, okay? It's, you know, there's more stuff out there, right? Uh, lozenges, I like you've got lozenges. Uh, I like the fact that there's caramels out there like Granny B Goods and some other people who are making amazing products. There's like products like we're bringing out Remixer who has our THC Tella and our LSD, which is Latham Spicy Dip, which they nicely named after me, um, which is like a nice nut spread um, analogous to something you'd get in Thailand on the street, right? So it has a nice convivial feel where you're sharing it with people again back to your point about the old days of it where it's not just um you know a cookie where you're going to eat it yourself you're actually sitting down and you've got a pot of this stuff in front of you and you have crackers or bread or whatever and you're spreading it and you're having a good time together i'm not seeing a lot of those products out there and i'm seeing fewer and fewer and fewer and things and i'm seeing the consolidation which is the buzzword right now in cannabis especially with all the business news of all of these brands just consolidating and going for what sells, right? That's it. Yeah, I don't see cannabis edibles. I don't see the infused space getting more culinary. I think, again, that is a passing fad. I think that's the new novelty, you know, infused dinners, those types of things. The one place that I do see cannabis getting more culinary is in beverage, right? Like what else is doing, you know what I mean? Like, I think the flavor profiles will continue to get more sophisticated and interesting and um, exciting. So I'm really stoked to be focusing on the beverage category, like Venice Cookie Company. We started out making baked goods and, you know, graduated into other form factors. But like I've licensed the cookie brand to Arizona and working on some other states, but we're not mm-hmm. even selling the baked goods in California because year over years, year over year, the sales are dropping so much. Um, I'm really grateful for, you know, what can has done for the space. They've just thrown a ton of money at the space, done a great job at marketing their product. Um, I think it took sort of an outsider like them to come up with the concept of, you know, going after alcohol consumers and not even seeing cannabis products as their competition, but seeing alcohol products as their competition. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy and stoked to be participating in the beverage space. And I think because of, you know, companies like Can, they've demonstrated proof of concept for beverage. And now it's no longer, there's no longer, you know, the, the skepticism about the category. But, no, and I, I do think it's getting um, to the point too with Can, people like Can, but it's just another seltzer basically, right? So the, the diverse space is opening with your stuff, with Klaus, with Urbasi, with Colexo, with Wonder. 
I do think that this is going to be the next two years of drinks like that. Yeah. My favorite drinks are Tet. I think that's a delicious. Oh, Artet's good. Yeah, yeah. Artet's good. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you tried Colexo? I I mean, I might have one in the fridge right here. I don't remember if I've tried it. I don't think I have. I it's very good. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. And it's only pretty much available down by you. Um, I really like Colexo. He's been a, a guest on the show. He's been and? yeah, and um he's got another partner too, but I can't remember who he is right now. Sorry if you're yeah. listening. Um, uh, but uh um, I do like their drinks and I do like that space. Um, that's why I am get got my distro behind Klaus and Urba C. And we do have a new drink coming out that's backed by a guy who's um, classically trained in the InBev model and it's Limoncello that will be coming out pretty soon too, which cool. is interesting, you know, and there's, yeah. there's cool, cool things out there. Um, I like your flavor profiles on all your drinks. Super yeah. good. Yeah. I haven't tried Urba C. I'm looking forward to trying that. That's anyway. launching next week too. I'll get you a can of that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm. You know, our drinks have always, you know, back in 07, 08, You know, we launched CQ Cannabis Quencher in two thousand twelve, and my theory back then at the time is like, you know, people want an edible that is something that's super familiar to them. You mm-hmm. know, just like you didn't have to reinvent the wheel with your flavor profiles. People just wanted something that they've loved their whole life. And now it has weed in it even better. Yeah. So lemonades just seem like an, a natural fit. The acidic nature of lemonades covers up the, the bitter cannabis note rather well, but you know, I'm excited now to kind of, you know, as things move forward to dabble in, you know, some more interesting, you know, maybe more forward flavor profiles. Yeah. 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 I get it. Um, so the most popular product you produce at VCC, what, what would you say it is? If you pigeonhold one of them, what would you say is the cannabis quencher? Lemonade. The lemonade, yeah. just traditional old fashioned lemonade. Yeah. Well, that's the okay. go-to. It's that's, that's what we're focusing on is the beverage category. And, and that's where we're at right now, but we're about to expand into some low dose seltzers in some other States. Cool. So that I'm having fun doing, um, and just mixing the drinks, you know, mixing the existing drinks with soda and seltzer and different products and, you know, seeing what tastes good. Sounds crazy, but I really like our mango drink in Coca-Cola. It tastes like a mango Coke. Interesting. Well, yeah. you heard it here first, guys, from the, the founder. So look for that in your store. Um, what's your feeling in low dosage and the movement toward low dosage? I mean what's what do you feel the the market space is for low dosage drinks and the rest of it i think it's great i mean you know i remember we came out with a six milligram brownie in 2012 and we couldn't sell it nobody wanted it you know so it's like i'm kind of indoctrinated with the mindset of the old school where eh, nobody really wanted that um and you know what we're seeing right now is like, you know, beverages, there's such a bigger market for it on the East coast and certain pockets like Massachusetts and other places where they're just um, maybe the beverage category is benefiting from the stigma that surrounds cannabis a little bit. Uh, Maybe it's, you know, it's colder this time of year, it's less of an outdoor culture. So people are gravitating towards beverages more, but I just, I don't think anyone feels bad or stigmatized about smoking weed in California Mm -hmm. and kind of a tougher market for beverage. And you can, uh, 
you can get a lot more market share in some of these East Coast states and whatnot. So, yeah, um, you just brought up a really good point, though, about being kind of locked in the house, right? And drinking is a big thing culturally. Um, but a lot of people like myself got away from alcohol, you know, and especially if you're stuck in the house all winter with your wife and kids, it might not be a good idea to start, you know, heavy whiskey habit, you know. I'm like such a West Coast kid, right? Like this California dude who's always saw his dad, you know, went and went with my dad to score his weed when I was nine years old. So it's like I'm kind of the last person to really maybe grasp it. But, you know, I think I think there might be this is all assumptions I'm running on here, but I think there still might, you know, cannabis consumers on the East Coast and, in, you know, places like Massachusetts or Southern, you know, whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think some people might be a little more predisposed to like feel like they're a stoner if they're smoking it, whereas if yeah. they're drinking it, it's just a lot more socially acceptable. No, the social stigma is there definitely on the East Coast, especially like in New York, where a place like you're you're in Central Park and you got smoking, got caught smoking a blunt, and you can spend the night in the tombs. You know, and you know, it's not a fun thing, and so that stigma is definitely there. So I, I get your point there. Um, let me just ask you a political question. I don't want to just delve into this too much. If you I, we're all in the same boat, right? I've got products on the market. You have a lot bigger and better products than I do I, probably at this point. But what is wrong with the, the cannabis market in California if you could put your finger on it? Because well, there, there's a lot of stuff wrong with it. It's largely illegal, right? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about the market at large, it's the black market, right? Mm -hmm. It's the illicit market. So the regulated market is a fraction of the overall market, right? It's the yeah. minority of the overall market. So that's the problem, right? It's just over fucking taxed, over regulated. Um, you, know, you know, people in Oakland are getting charged, you know, 6% tax to, to have the privilege of operating in, in the city of Oakland right now. And people are being burglarized and robbed blind and the cops aren't even, you know, showing up to, to, yeah. you know, did you see the, do you see the thing the other night um, that was published uh, all across the country? I believe uh, the cannabis dispensary that was raided in one of these gang takeover robberies the other night, the police were sitting out in front in San Francisco. Yeah. they have them on video. They're yeah. watching the whole thing happen and they only got out of their car after it had finished. Yeah, well, it, the Home Depot in Oakland was able to hire uh, Oakland Police Department to come sit in their parking lot and protect that Home Depot. And when cannabis businesses in the city of Oakland caught wind of that, they called up OPD and said, hey, can we hire you to come park a couple black and whites out in front of our out in front of our premise? And Oakland PD said, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. And it's like, you know, yeah. Home, Home Depot is paying like a tenth of a percent in taxes and we're paying 6% in gross receipts taxes. And, you know, for some reason, OPD didn't want to be associated with, you know, being a hired gun or protecting the cannabis industry. So yeah. that's that's the problem. Well, as a veteran of the West Oakland Commerce Association Board of Directors for 11 years, there's a lot of fucked up things in Oakland yeah. and they never end. I have to say that uh, we always got visited back when I was on the board there by the port officials who these fellows would walk in in suits that it would take two lifetimes to afford. And 
all of them that spoke to our group are now in prison. Wow. All of them. Isn't that weird? You know, wow. Oakland, yeah, Oakland's an interesting cat, believe me. And I know you're, you lived up there, didn't you, for a while? We had our, our facility up there, so I'd spend a lot of time up there, but never lived there. Yeah, well, but yeah, I mean, Oakland's Oakland's rich in history, home of the Black Panthers, man. Oh, it is. It's very rich in history. Um, I, I mean, my take on the what's wrong in California is so there are so many nuances about the market itself. But I do think if we were to be able to open up the retail sphere and get more licenses out there, um, it would be great. I just visited my daughter in, at University of Oregon, and there's literally uh, a dispensary every quarter mile you can find dispensaries everywhere the prices are great taxation's low very little crime i mean it's changed the face of it and so i think one of these things is by the exorbitant taxation that we're being forced to pay and the uh, high dollar amounts in the dispensaries because of the taxes that are necessary um the thieves know that there's a it's a target and they know it's a cash target. So if we could get more dispensary licenses out there, we could get more retail outlets out there, I think would alleviate some of the problems. But again, I, as I've been said, uh, have, I've said on this show many, many times, and this should be shouted out all of you people at home, this is taxation without representation. We are not being represented and we are being taxed to the hilt for our medicine, basically. And you need to, people need to start saying something. This is taxation with our representation. It's anti-American. It's anti what we stand for. So get, get the word out. Um, at this point in the show, Kenny, I'd like to ask you a final kind of question that I ask everyone. You have a stony story for us? It could be about you. It could be about a relative. It could be about a friend or an ex-friend. You can name names. You could do whatever you want. But I'd, not, I'd like to hear a stony story. Um, the Dennis Hopper one was great, by the way, but this is different. The, a story that just comes to mind off the top of my head was told to me by a guy named Michael Omaha, who's since passed away, but he founded with his former wife, the original pharmacy spelled with an F in West Hollywood, which is now mm -hmm. a, a med man. Okay. But um, it was one of like the first five cannabis dispensaries in all of LA County in 2006. Mm -hmm. And I, was walking by it one day and I was like, is that a dispensary? And I walked in and I was super shy and undercover and my friends were growing cannabis at the time and had no interest in setting foot into a dispensary. And, uh, you know, I went in and, uh, you know, said, uh, you know, I, you guys buy pot and, uh, the girl behind the counter was like, Oh, are you a care grower? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm a care grower. And she said, That's Oh, would you, like to make, would you like to make an appointment? And I met Michael Omaha, the, you know, the owner, founder of the store. And he was sort of, you know, in 06, he was, he was kind of like, this might sound kind of rude, but I'm just going to be real. He was like, when you kind of got to know him, he was like a Steve D'Angelo meets Charles Manson. Like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was a controlling crazy guy who probably you know didn't have as much business acumen or ability to foster and manage and uh, oversee complexity as i'm assuming steve was able to do because he was more successful but um michael was a showman he was a visionary he 
he saw the whole movie. He knew where things were going. He, you know, all the bud tenders never touched the medicine and, and took used chopsticks to weigh the weed out and put it on the scale. And that became industry standard back then in California. Everyone used chopsticks to put the cannabis on the scale back then. Mm-hmm. So he was super influential, but him and I became friends when I started selling him sour diesel back then. And we went to Burning Man together after knowing each other for like four months. And, um, you know, we started trading more stories. His were always way more interesting than mine. Like he would tell stories supposedly about, you know, smuggling hash out of Lebanon and flying suitcases of pot from New York to LA and landing in LAX and then meeting Peter Fonda and Arnold Schwarzenegger on a yacht delivering suitcases of weed to them on a yacht here in Marina del Rey. But the story he asked me, you know, do you, you know, we, on the way to Burning Man, we traded, what was your first time ever smoking pot stories? Mm-hmm. And mine was, you know, I was probably about nine years old and my brother was 13 and, you know, just got stoned or whatever. And he's doing these. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. I remember those jokes <laughs> on me or whatever. But Michael's story was, and we also got along because we're both surfers. Um, but his story was he was like a East Coast ESA surfing champion who came out to the West Coast to start surfing. Um, and so the thing that we bonded on is surfing was the impetus for a lot of our travels. And he ended up going to Mexico on a surf trip. And, um, you know, this had to be like the sixties. And to me, it felt like that period of his life was like a mixture of the movie endless summer, but, Mm -hmm. but funding it all by smuggling weed. And it turned out that's what I heard from him that a lot of people did was a lot of surfers back then were traveling the world surfing, Mickey Dora, Joey Cabell, the dude who started the chart house, all these guys were going to Mexico and going places for surfing. And the thing that was funding it all behind the scenes was, you know, smuggling pot and bricks of Acapulco gold. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what a fucking story this would be like, what an amazing movie. And I know a lot of these guys and I'd still like to like write a screenplay someday or direct it or something where it would be like, you know, the less edgy, more lifestyle-y, softer version of blow, right? Like it would be the cannabis endless summer meets blow type movie. And anyways, I'm rambling here, but his first time he ever smoked pot was he drove in a Volkswagen bus up this like windy mountain road to meet this, this Mexican pot farmer. And he got up there and went into his house. I don't remember this part of the story so well, but um, you know, he bought weed from this farmer and it was enough to fill up the entire Volkswagen bus up to the shoulder rest backrest of the whole bus. He said the entire fucking bus was filled with pot and he'd never smoked pot before. And he was driving down this super windy road in the Volkswagen bus 
And the Mexican guy next to him was like, hey, have you ever smoked? And he was like, no, I've never smoked. And he grabbed a newspaper and slapped it down in his lap and reached behind him and grabbed a big handful of fucking weed with sticks and seeds in it, and threw it down in the newspaper and just rolled up a roll of the newspaper into this giant Cheech and Chong fucking joint Monster. and sparked it up. This big newspaper joint filled with Mexican dirt weed sparked it up and was puffing it, handed it to him. And the first time he ever smoked weed was getting handed this big joint driving down this windy mountain road with a, oh my God. a Volkswagen bus filled with weed. Jesus. And, and his stories went on and on about how he you know, got it into the United States and like just such rich, amazing stories. He was he was a really interesting dude. I'm really kind of grateful for the time I got to hang out with him. He was a troubled guy. Um, but yeah, definitely a rich character. And that's what I'm drawn to. Best story yet, man. Thank you for that stony story. I appreciate it. And I think our audience will appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Kenny, thank you very much for sharing that. And do you got any plugs you want to put in? You got any new products coming out before we part? Yeah, I guess. Um, CQ is, um, yeah, we're just going through a brand refresh right now. We're coming out with a line of Agua Frescas. Oh, cool. um, we're um, coming out with a mango Arnold Palmer. It's mm -hmm. really, really delicious. My favorite flavor by far. It's just so tasty. Um, and yeah, just kind of refining the lemonades, making the cannabis a little um, more invisible um you know just refining the flavor profiles giving it a new look cool 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 always on the rnd i like it yeah so the, our guest tonight has been kenny morrison founder of vcc the venice cookie company who also makes cannabis quencher subtle tn1 tincture kenny thanks very much for being here and if you ever want to announce anything else please look me up and come back on the show thanks for having me man thanks kenny have a good one and uh, shout out to mr omaha and thanks for that great story all right Peace. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Later. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.